March is here, and it would be madness to miss the awesome, cozy winter weekend special at the Boardwalk Plaza Hotel in Rehoboth Beach. Enjoy a two-night stay, room service dessert, and more. Experience the serenity of the winter ocean from the warmth of your oceanfront suite. You don't have to go far away to get away from it all. Visit BoardwalkPlaza.com and book your winter getaway today. And let's not forget amazing dining at Victoria's Restaurant. Open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week, all year long. Reservations are not necessary, but always welcome. Call 800-33-BEACH or reserve at opentable.com. Thanks to the Boardwalk Plaza for being the Bridge Podcast Network sponsor. Have you ever wondered why do Christians believe in the Bible? If you have, you have found the right podcast. I'm Mark Dickey. And I'm Burt Miller. And welcome to the Why Do Christians podcast. So if you're listening to this, chances are you have some questions about the Bible, whether it's how do we get the Bible? Where did it come from? Why do we need a Bible? And can we even trust it? Is the Bible authentic? Well, we're going to be going through all of that today. My name is Mark Dickey. I host a daily show, the afternoon show to be exact, on a Christian radio station called The Bridge. My co-host is Bert Miller, the lead pastor of Solid Ground Church in Lewis, Delaware. Bert, how's it going today? Mark Lionel Dickey. <laughs> it's fantastic today. How are you doing, Ben? I'm good. I uh, You immediately put the Lionel trains yeah. in my mind. Well, okay. hey. Is that is there a famous Lionel that you're thinking of? Just you, yeah. That's Lionel Richie. You're the most famous Lionel that I know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of interesting. Like with Christianity, it's like they believe in this thing. I say they, but we. I'm a Christian too, Mm -hmm. and we have this belief system. We we trust that there's a God, and everything that we believe comes from one place it comes from the bible yeah yeah and i think most people just kind of accept it as it is but then other people have questions about it and are just like well how (laughs) oh for sure man you think about like i mean within the last even few years there's been a large movement of the the popular term for it is what's called deconstruction where you have people who are leaving the christian faith in in I don't want to say droves. I think that's dramatic, but a certain, certainly a sizable number of people. And many of them, the reason they're doing that is they might have issue with Scripture or what the Bible says or mm. uh, how they've been taught uh, to believe it in a certain way. Um, so it's definitely, it's definitely an important subject and, and very, very relevant. Yeah. I've known so many people in my life where when I tell them I'm a Christian, they're like, well, they compare the Bible to other things that are old, mm-hmm. whether it's old values, traditions, like, well, 50 years ago, we thought it was okay to do these atrocious things to yeah. human beings. Why on earth would you believe in something 2000 years old? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that like, I, I hear those objections as well too. I get people that are like, why would you believe in a book that's written by men who didn't know where the sun went at night? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think I think behind that objection is already a worldview. In other words, like to say, all right, why would you believe this thing? It's outdated. It presupposes that you believe something that's correct. Right. Huh. So, so what you're saying is, all right, we we have arrived in a place in our morality or understanding of, of human nature uh, that we know now what people didn't know 
you know, back in the day. This is what um, C.S. Lewis, is famous Christian author, he called it chronological snobbery. Hmm. And, it, and it was the idea that, okay, because we have more advantage, because I have an iPhone now, I know better about human nature. Um, I think we need to be really careful with that because uh, essentially what we're doing is we're saying that we have arrived in a way that perhaps uh, is a little bit presumptuous. You know, I say it like this. So, can I, can I tell you a story? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, one of my earliest memories, I remember I was driving in the car with my dad. This is back when kids could ride in the front seat, you know, diff- different era. <laughs> um, and, and it was, I, I, I was probably six or seven. I couldn't have been that old because I, I know I was, I, I had just learned how to read. And I, was, I was knowing numbers. I was in school, you know, that type of thing. And uh, I noticed as we were you know, flying down the highway, I started to pay attention. To, for the first time in my life, I would pay attention to speed limit signs. Hmm. And I'm looking at, you know, the speed limit, let's say it was, I don't know, it was 55, and Dad's doing 65 or 70 or something like that. And, <laughs> and I began to compare it. Like, Dad, here's what the speed limit is, and here's what you're doing. But what you're doing, if it says speed limit, it means you can't go faster than that. And so finally I just asked, you know, Dad, why is it the sign says 55 and you're, and you're going 65 or 70? And Dad went, well, son, you see. And so he, he, he hates that I tell this story, but I do it every time. Um, <laughs> he said, well, son, you see um, – I have a special license. <laughs> he goes, and so I'm, I'm a really good driver. And so every year that I don't get a ticket, I'm allowed to go one mile above the speed limit. <laughs> he goes, it's been 15 years. And so now I can go 15 miles above the speed limit. I went, oh, okay. And I had no reason to challenge it. It's, he's my dad. Okay. I, I, I trust him. He's taught me, he taught me how to brush my teeth. Okay. Like I trust him. And I went through life. Okay. And, and you know what? I went all the way, and I'm not even kidding you, Mark. I went all the way until driver's ed. Like in high school, like I went oh. through learning how to drive, and um, and I and I and I just put in the back of my mind, okay, like this, you know, God, or like not God, Dad is going to, uh, he's going to give me, uh, he, he's giving. I'm sorry, let me rewind that. I, I, as I finish this class, I'm going to learn how to get that special license. And so we go through all the training, we go through all the classes, and on the last day of driver's ed, mm. the teacher says, hey, are there any questions about driving that we haven't covered in this class? And my hand starts to go up because I'm thinking, why have we not talked about the special license? All right. And just as it's about to go up, there's just something in my gut that said, I'm not sure that dad is, was telling the truth. So I put my hand down. Yeah, every, every person who's experienced high school angst oh. just froze in that moment, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so I went home and I said, Dad, there's no such thing as a special license, is there? And he just went, well, you're just now figuring this out? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but it was one of those things where, listen, I went through life just accepting something is true. Yeah. Um, because, I, because I knew that you have a special license. I knew it. Why? Because somebody that I had trusted told me so. Ooh, yeah. Okay? And I think this is, you know, when we talk about this idea of why do we even need a Bible, all of us, whether we acknowledge it or not, have what's called a worldview. We have a set of filters that we have picked up going through life in terms of our expectations for experience in this thing called being a human. Okay, what's right? What's wrong? What's good? What's bad? And all of us are informed uh, by someone about this. Right, and so mm. whether that be parents, teachers, uh, religion, friends, what have you, all of us we pick up a way of looking at the world, and the question becomes, okay, what if they're wrong? Yeah, because here's the crazy part, man. The crazy part is this: um, every generation that's come before us has had a worldview, mm-hmm. right? And we would look back on them, and 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 there are things that we value, and there are things that we don't. You know, we, we can think of in in uh, you know decades past here in America. Think of 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 times when racism was prevalent. We would look on that and we would say, okay, yeah, everybody accepts it, but that's not good. That's not right. Right. Okay. Um, and it's one of those things where, okay, 
we we can understand that man every generation before us has believed and practiced things that we would say are ethically wrong mm-hmm. right okay here's why this is important okay if if we would say yeah that's probably true of every generation ever what are the chances that you and i have some things that are wrong as well oh that's so good yeah yeah, yeah. Pr- probably pretty high right and so what we would need is we would need someone who isn't influenced by falsehood, influenced by sin, influenced by selfishness. We would need so, like in order to know what's truly right, we would need someone who's outside of all of it to say, "Hey, here's actually what life is about. And here's actually who God is, and here's actually what is right and what is wrong." And the, and the funny thing about the Bible is I, I believe it does exactly that. Mm-hmm. That the Bible is outside of all of it. Yes, it was written by historic human beings. Yes, it was written by people who had very, very distinct ways of looking at the world. Yet, one of the biggest mistakes we can make with the Bible is we can think that it comes from a particular culture because it doesn't. Hmm. Like, we, we, we think, because we live here in the West, we think that, okay, the Bible is written by people in the Middle East, and so therefore it reflects Middle Eastern values. Only no, it doesn't. So, I'll, I'll give you some examples. So, for instance, um, when you read through the book of Genesis, okay, and when we're talking about Genesis written into the ancient Near East a long, long time ago, thousands of years ago, um, in the ancient Near East, they had a belief that it was basically, hey, listen, firstborn equals first best, okay? Like, the, the, like your prominence, your responsibility as a man, as a male in a family, if you're the firstborn male, you are the one dedicated by the gods. You're the one destined to be hero of the family. You will take over when your patriarch dies. Firstborn equals first best. And what do you find over and over again in Genesis? That being contradicted, right? So you have Jacob chosen over Esau. You have Joseph chosen above his brothers. Why? Um, You have Isaac chosen over Ishmael. Hmm. Why? Because the Bible is going out of its way to show you, okay, this is what everybody believes, but it's not right. In the same way, like us here in the West, usually when people have a problem with the Bible, what they have a problem with is something that inherently contradicts their worldview and values. And so, I'll give you an example. If the Bible were to be purely stuff about love, mercy, forgiveness, grace, most of us in the West would not bat an eyelash at that because we love those passages. We love hearing about how God's forgiven us. We love hearing about God's unconditional love and His mercy and forgiveness. We love that stuff. But we have a real hard time with passages about justice, wrath, Hmm. judgment, uh, hell, we have a hard time with those. Now, here's the interesting thing. Okay? So, when we talk about this idea of the Bible being outside of any culture, if you were to travel across the ocean and you were to go to the Middle East and you were to go to people who have, have grown up with perhaps a, a different religious mindset or just within Middle Eastern Christianity and culture, what you're going to find is the exact opposite. You're going to find they have no problem with passages about justice, about wrath, huh. about punishment. But they have a real hard time with that God being graceful and loving stuff. Wow. Right? You know why? Because it's worldview. And so I bring this up to say when somebody says, well, listen, the Bible is written by people and it just fits within a worldview. No, it doesn't. It fits within its own worldview. And it demands its listeners to really be challenged in what they've come to accept in the world. Um, and so I think the very first reason why we should go out, listen, you know, why do we even need a Bible? is because we have to acknowledge our own limited scope in this time of history and the space on the planet, that we need something greater than ourselves to speak to us about what is even true or right. Mm. That's great. That's... <laughs> I If I could speak for everyone who just heard what you said, <laughs> it's just like arrow to the heart. Mm. Because even as a Christian... 
even as someone who follows the Bible, my mind is immediately jumping to scriptures that I just go, yeah, yeah, that's a cool verse, but let's talk about God's love. Yeah, right? Yeah, oh, and we all do it. Yeah, for sure. And, and again, I, I don't think it's a thing of, you know, God being mad at us for doing that. We, we you know, the Psalms talk about this idea that he's mindful of our frame. He knows how we're wired. He knows why we are the way that we are. And he's incredibly patient and kind. But what we shouldn't do is allow our biblical preferences to inform what we believe is true or what we will listen to. That's a big mistake. Like if, if basically the only reason that I will listen to a passage is it affirms what I already believe, then essentially what I'm doing is I'm constructing a God who's no bigger than me. I, 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 if God is real, I would hope that he would disagree with me. That needs to be a whole episode by itself. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's, is that just, maybe. We're, we're just going to brush by that point and move on. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, Mark, do you like commercials? I do. Don't we all? Wouldn't it be great if we had a sponsor for this podcast? Mark, nothing would make me happier. Well, you could sponsor this podcast by contacting us at podcast at wearethebridge.org. You could be a hot dog stand. A a cheese grater company. You could sell furniture. Or (laughs) Wi-Fi. Contact us at podcast at wearethebridge.org. I think that's it. I think we got it. You started to say, why do we need the Bible? And so what I heard you say was it's out of our worldview, our worldview, or it's like, uh, I don't know. I'm picturing like a map, you know, we're on this journey and there's somebody outside of space and time who's above it and seeing the whole big picture. Who also made space and time. Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. So that's really cool. So where did the Bible come from? Oh, man. So that's actually a pretty neat story, right? Because a lot of us, we, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I always just kind of thought, I, I pictured the Bible, you know, we think of Moses with the Ten Commandments and heaven just kind of opening and God speaking loudly and, like, you know, being etched on stone. And that happened for some verses, but a lot of us, we think, like, the sort of the Bible just dropped out of the sky, you know, and uh, yeah. and uh, that, that's just not the case. So. The interesting thing to know about the Bible, and, and if I were to sort of say where I'm getting this from, um, because, you know, listen, there's lots of claims out there with people say, here's history, and then we find out, okay, that's not really sourced, that's not really accredited. Um, three three sources that, that uh, I've drawn my research on this would be, uh, there's a guy named Bruce Metzger. Um, he wrote a book called The Text of the New Testament that, that traces a lot of this. Uh, there's another guy at Southern Seminary named uh, Dr. Robert Plummer, uh, and another guy would be uh, named James White. These are some people who I've uh, just kind of done... Uh, some reading of research through, and so this, this is where I'm, I'm getting this info. So, um, we, we have to start with the Old Testament, okay? Because that that comes before the New, right? The Hebrew Bible, and um, it was what they call and and still do is called the Tanakh. Um, it's a, it's a oh gosh, what's what's the word when uh, you, you basically you take letters and you uh, abbreviate them to uh, form a word? I, I can't believe I'm blanking on what that's called right now. <laughs> An acrostic? Yeah, maybe. Okay, so basically, okay, so it stands for TNK. Uh, the T is for uh, Torah, means the law. Uh, you have the N, which is for Nevaim, which is the, the Hebrew word for prophets, and hmm. uh, Ketavim just means other writings. And so um, the way the, these were formed was basically you had um, this this formation of uh, writings by, by Hebrew prophets, uh, and they began to, and this is just crazy to think about, over a period of about 1,500 years across hmm. multiple continents, 
they tell one overarching story. Okay. <laughs> that is the story of God and his relationship to the people of Israel. Okay. And they tell stories of like who God is, uh, his covenant with Israel. Um, and what would happen is people would read these writings of these prophets and they recognize, first of all, the brilliance in them that, man, what they're writing is incredible, like just in terms of liter- or literary style and how, uh, man, so much of this testifies to our, our nation's history. Because I think to realize, like when you think about Exodus, for instance, okay, Exodus is the story of the Israelites in uh, the wilderness, right? Joshua, uh, I mean, is also the story of a nation, right? Um, I like to bring that up because we're not talking about documents that were written off in a like closet somewhere. This testifies to the, to the experience of an entire country that they that they would pass on to their children and say, "Yes, this is our heritage." Okay, so they tell the story of Israel and, and its faithfulness to God or l- lack thereof, right? And over this period, fifteen hundred years, uh, people began to recognize, "Man, God spoke in this. He said this would happen. It happened." Um, and so they collect these the, these writings um, and they form what would be called the the uh, Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, our Old Testament canon. Um, and this was the Bible. Uh, that that Jesus believed in. So you have a period of okay. So uh, the prophet Malachi, he speaks, and then uh, essentially the Old Testament canon ends. Uh, it's a period about four hundred years. Now there are these things called Second Temple literature, which are um, the Apocrypha, certain books in in certain versions of the Bible. Protestants uh, don't accept those, but uh, they weren't viewed with the same authority uh, as as the other books. But they were viewed as this sort of like, man, here's a story continuing. Hey, there's some wisdom to be found here. But they wouldn't have really looked at it as, hey, this, this is definitely God has spoken hmm. through this. Okay. So 400 years pass, and um, you know the nation of Israel, they, they've, they've gone through uh, uh, captivity in Babylon. They've, they've been allowed to come back. They're under Roman occupation. I'm, I'm simplifying a lot of events. Uh, but you have this resurgence of uh, faith in and trust in the Old Testament, uh, the, the Tanakh. And uh, so Jesus arrives on the, on the scene, right? And Jesus starts referencing uh, these books, which which talk about the story of God, and the promise of this Messiah who never shows up in them. And Jesus starts to go, "Hey, listen, I'm the fulfillment of all of it." And so, essentially, what what he does is, um, and this is, you know, when we talk about this idea of our, our big question for this episode is, why do Christians believe in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Um, the simple Sunday school answer, which is 100 percent true, is because Christians believe in Jesus. Like the reason we believe in the Bible is because Jesus shows up, and he doesn't jettison the Hebrew Bible at all. In fact, what he does is he says, listen, I'm the fulfillment of it. And so it's this crazy thing. Like in Matthew 5.18, he says, he says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And in other words, this is, this is the Old Testament he would affirm is God's word. And it will remain until the end of the world. And he treated it like that. So Jesus treats, I mean, he, he, if you can believe this, he references what we would call the Old Testament as authoritative more than 60 times in the Gospels. Hmm. Okay. And so he comes along and, and he, I mean, another example would be John 10, 35, where he says, Scripture cannot be broken. And so we, we, we take uh, Jesus' words seriously when he says, like, this is the word of God. All right. And so Jesus, you know, he we believe he came to the world, that he lived a life free of sin, that he taught without error, that he died for sin and rose from the dead. And one of the things that Jesus did while in his earthly ministry was he commissioned his teachings to be taught by these guys called the apostles. Right? Okay, like what what it's, it's weird because Jesus didn't write any books. We know he could read, but, <laughs> but but he didn't write any books. 
And the reason is he commissioned his apostles to do it. He commissioned them, hey, you, you take my teachings, you apply them, you, you, you stretch them out to go wherever they need to go, uh, and, and, and you can just trust that it's me working through you. I mean, these are the teachings of Jesus. Like when he talks about this idea of, hey, whatever you, bound, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, he gives this incredible authority. Mm-hmm. Now, here's why this is important, because sometimes what happens is the passages that cause us problems, we think that if we can just ditch them, then we'll have a pure Christianity. So, for instance, um, there, there, there's not a small amount of people who will say, you know, listen, I, I can't believe in the Bible because it was written by human beings, but I believe in the teachings of Jesus. I think those are without error. And hmm. and that's a that's a big mistake for a few reasons. Number one, when you say, okay, I can't believe in a Bible because it's written by human beings, what you're saying is, yes, I believe in an infinite God, but human ignorance can overpower him. <laughs> like, let's be really careful there. Yeah. Um, but the other part is this. Um, if you're going to believe the teachings of Jesus, you're going to have to believe the stuff in the Old and rest of the New Testament, right? Because you've got Jesus affirming the Old, and so if that's the stuff that offends you, well, Jesus says it's God's Word. But then if you say, all right, here's this other stuff, you know, particularly like here's Paul, and here's Paul's views on uh, life and what have you that would offend us now, um, and we'll go, well, listen, he, you know, he got it wrong, but Jesus' teachings got it right. Let's be really, really careful. Are we saying that Jesus made a mistake in who he appointed and the mission that he gave. Hmm. Now, the, the the cynic will say, well, Paul didn't know Jesus, and I would say that that's true. He came along after. But Peter, who absolutely did, actually called Paul's writing scripture. This is in 2 Peter 3, 15, 16. Um, he actually says, uh, this is, I forgot what to read you, verse 16. He says, he, talking about Paul, writes the same way in all his letters, speaking to them, or speaking in them on these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. And then listen to this line, Mark as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Because that's the thing. As the apostles begin to write down the accounts of Jesus' life, um, and Luke and Luke and Mark uh, were not apostles, but they they uh, interviewed eyewitnesses of it. But you, you have the apostles writing down um, uh, teachings of application of Jesus' uh, teachings, like that's what the epistles are. Um, they recognize that, hey, God is speaking through this. Hey, this is a new canon of scripture. This is a this is a new testament, hmm. and so they they recognize this from the jump. That listen, what's going on um, is so much bigger than just us trying to form a movement. God is at work speaking a word again, and that's what forms the New Testament canon. They've got this. I mean, I'm telling you, they've got this in their minds from the beginning. It's why you can find things in the New Testament where they're, they're referencing what they're writing as God's uh, command, God's word, and what have you. Mm-hmm. It's a very very big statement. And so that's so that that time goes on and we're still talking about like how do we get our bible, right? So yeah. now you've got the new testament formed. And the apostles eventually after they they've they've written or influenced uh 20 the 27 books that become our new testament canon. Um they die off. And you're left with these people who are called the apostolic fathers. And they're they're the people who the generation that came after the apostles are the ones that the, the apostles uh, and, and first church leaders discipled and were teaching about Jesus. Um, and it's important to realize that, listen, like during this era of the Apostolic Fathers, there are other books that begin to circulate. Like there are other books that are saying, like, listen, you know, <laughs> oh, here's this gospel of Peter uh, that uh, are the, the teachings of, of Peter. And, but the problem is people were still alive who knew Peter. And so they're reading this, and they're like, this doesn't square up with the Peter that we knew who, who taught in our churches and what happened. This, this can't be real. And so you find this time of discernment. Sometimes people, they think, listen, oh, this book wasn't included in the New Testament canon because it was too controversial, which 
is ridiculous because of how controversial the books that are included were. <laughs> like, they, they have no problem. Like if something is is offensive, that's never a gauge for whether or not it's included in the New Testament. What makes it included is how faithful was it to what they had known had happened historically and the teachings of the people who were giving these things. So what ha- what ends up happening is basically um, – they, you know, you, you have these documents, like, we'll take the epistles, for instance, like, Paul writes an epistle to Christians in Rome, okay, and they've got them, and they're distributing them around different churches in Rome, but remember, there, there's no there's no fax machine, there, there's no internet, yeah. Um, so it's not like they just, from the jump, had a New Testament canon compiled. So what would happen is, back when, when Christianity was illegal, um, you'd have Christians, and they would, you know, visit house churches, and they, let's say somebody takes a trip to Rome, right, and they're from Ephesus, and they go... Hey, like you have this book that Paul wrote to our churches in Ephesus. And they go, no, we don't. So they'd copy them, and then and they'd and it's almost like trading cards. Yeah. Like they, they would just they would begin to copy these different manuscripts, and with time, what happens is they begin to compile this canon, and they're they're testing it based on, um, you know, what do we know to be historical? What do we know to be actually written by the apostles and the people who the book claims wrote them? Like how how reliable do we know this to be? And so by the time you reach about the three hundreds. Um, you've got a, a guy named uh, uh, Eusebius, who is a Christian historian, and basically what he does is he talks about books that are established as true in his time period, and he even mentions ones that, that are debated. And so we know what they're doing in this time period is they're they're discussing, okay, what do we affirm? This is absolutely, we have no doubt this is written by so-and-so, and these, uh, we're, we're just not quite sure. And so what ends up happening, like time goes on, and uh, about this is a letter, our first recollection or first record of our New Testament canon as we know it comes from a guy named Athanasius, and it's a letter he writes about 367 A.D. and that's and that's when he said, right, "This is what we have come to accept as the New Testament canon of Scripture." So here's why this is important um, because sometimes people they believe in it's kind of like a conspiracy. They think, you know, listen, like the like some some select guys got together in a room somewhere and they decided this is what the New Testament canon is going to be. And that's not what it was. When when you reach places like the councils of Hippo and Carthage, and these, these are in 393 and 397, when they get together and they formally recognize this this is our canon of scripture and it's closed, it's not that they decided what books should be in there. They're going what was already recognized and the consensus. Hmm. And so it's the testimony of the entire church of that time. I mean, with obviously there, there, there have been heretics since the beginning, but that's really where that came from. And the, and the key word there is it's not that they were formed, it's that they were recognized. This is our New Testament, but that's how we got it. So you remind me of a verse that I've always thought was kind of interesting. It's yeah. a second Timothy three, uh-huh. uh, 16 and 17. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when I first heard that as a Christian, I'm like, wow, this is, that's so cool. I love that. Like, this is, this is God's word. It's, it's our Bible. Yeah. And I get proud about it. Yeah. But then when I start to think about it a little bit more, I'm like, wait, this book is telling me that this book is God breathed. That's not a, that's not a very, uh, (laughs) a good source. Circular reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so first of all, I, I think let's, I think the application of Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen for all of Scripture being inspired is accurate um, because of how Christians understood those books to be functioning that 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 God was speaking through them. So I'm thinking about um, you know Paul has this thing in First Corinthians uh, four 
1437, where he says, If anyone thinks they're a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. Um, in other words, um, hey, if, if, if you claim to be led by the Lord, then you're going to see that what, what I'm saying is uh, true to the teachings of Christ. Um, in 2 Timothy, I think probably the scripture that he's referencing there is the Old Testament. Um, in other words, he's saying like, okay, listen, because you, again, they, they don't have the New Testament canon uh, formed yet. Um, and so when he's telling Timothy, listen, preach the word in, in season and out of season, and he's talking about being true to the scriptures, he's probably talking about the Hebrew Bible in that place. Now, again, I think the application is right and good for all of it, for our 27 books in the New Testament canon as well. Hmm. Um, but I don't know that, that Paul would be applying that kind of circular reasoning right now. They, they certainly never have this viewpoint of, hey, just believe it because I say it. Hmm. Um, it's, it's more, hey, the, the testimony of what I'm saying is, is consistent with the witnesses who saw Jesus, who walked with him, who heard him talk. That's the kind of thing they appeal to. It, they, they appeal to the ministry of Christ. Like, so, like, the, the first uh, Corinthians passage I just mentioned there, um, throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul do things and be like, you know, listen, I have no command of the Lord, but I think this is wise and good. And when he talks about I have no command of the Lord, it's not that in that moment the Holy Spirit was dictating to him. He's talking about, okay, what I know the teachings of Jesus, I don't have a way that I would apply in this specific situation, but here's what wisdom would tell me. Um, so I, I think it's important to realize that, that okay, they recognize, hey, how does this line up with Jesus? How does it not? So, for instance, um, in our day and age, there are all kinds of questions over, uh, you know, gender relationships and what have you. And sometimes what people do is um, they, they want to discourage the writings of Paul uh, because he has probably the most to say about this of any apostle, um, and they'll and they'll do so by saying, "Well, you know, listen, um, Jesus didn't teach on this or on that." And the mistake that they're making is they're not understanding who Jesus was addressing and who Paul was addressing. So, Jesus was addressing a group of almost exclusively Jewish people who presupposed certain things about marriage, about all this stuff. Paul wasn't. He was writing to Gentiles who looked at the world a completely different way. Hmm. But but the important thing to realize is what he says is consistent with the worldview that's presented by Jesus. And so I, th- I think it's important to realize, like, when, when it comes to the New Testament stuff, none of it is, hey, some guys thought, hey, I'm going to just come up with a thing on my own, and I'll, I'll take the teaching a step further. At all times, they're wondering, how is this consistent with who Jesus is, what he taught, what like the way that he's taught us to live? Hmm. These are the things that they're asking about. That just goes to show that, like, you know, context is everything 100%. and we are currently in a culture that wants to boil every issue every point every stance down to a single tweetable sentence yep. and uh now twitter has more characters now <laughs> than ever before but but still and it's like yeah you can pull that verse by itself and you can say why it's wrong yeah but you're not going to take the time to s- show who the original audience was yeah yeah well that's <laughs> that's that's really good well that's, and that's one of the things like look man we live in a really neat time i'm, I'm not despairing about the times in which we live like i think it's if you're about it's amazing at, at the push of a button you can know anything about anything that's ever existed right i mean right. that's incredible I, I remember like when i was a kid i had to go to this place called the library and I had to go through like a card catalog, which was the Dewey Decimal System, and I had to, like, I mean, like do work, you know. I was like, I was like Gandalf in the the basement, in Lord of the Rings, like the <laughs> torch looking for stuff. Um, but but now it's not that case. But at the same time, as there's a freedom of information, something that that we need to be mindful of is scrutiny. 
In other words, it used to be you had to vet your sources and you and you were responsible for the information that you conveyed. Now, not so much because anyone can just throw something on social media and there's zero accountability. There's no editor. There's no, there's no hey, what's your source on this? Um, but the neat thing about like you mentioned this idea of knowing context and stuff. This is what people are taught in seminaries, Bible colleges, stuff like that. They're taught this. It's a practice called hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is, is the study of interpretation. Um, anybody who's trained in the Bible, I, I've yet to find a program that doesn't require hermeneutics. Because what you're supposed to know is, okay, who was this book written to? When was it written? What's the occasion for the book? What's the goal of the author? What's the historical context? Like Because in understanding those things, they're going to help you best understand the book. And if you don't know those things, you can glean some stuff, but but you might not necessarily be that true to the text. And so I bring that up to say that, listen, sometimes people think that, that you know, we believe in the Bible sort of blindly, that, you know, we, we just take it, you know, it's God's Word, I accept it as is. And well, yes, I, okay, I believe it's God's Word. Um, I accept it. I let it convict me. At the same time, I also study it so I can understand it as best as I possible, or possibly can. So when I think about how the Bible was written over thousands of years i can't help but think about that old game we'd play in school telephone (laughs) yeah you know where one person says something and then the next person has to repeat it but they summarize it in their own way and then the next person summarizes it and all of a sudden you go down the chain over a period of five minutes yeah yeah and the the message has changed completely Mm mm-hmm uh, how can we trust that the Bible that we're reading today is truly what the original authors yeah. intended to convey about who God and who Jesus are? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think first of all, like, let's understand that the nature of transcription is completely different uh, in Scripture versus the telephone game, right? Like, part of the telephone game is it, part of the fun is changing stuff, so that <laughs> you're one of those people. Oh, I'm a hundred percent one of those people. Oh, yeah. Um, but scripture, like the people who who copied these things, um, it was a discipline for them. Now, now, how we can know that what we have is accurate to what they originally wrote? There's actually some really good evidence for that. Um, let, let's take the Old Testament for instance. Okay, so the Old Testament that, that was written in a period of about 1500 years ago. Um, th- that was a question for a long time. How do we know that what we have is what they wrote? And then back in 1947, um, there was this place called uh, the Qumran community that they discovered, like out in the deserts of Israel. Um, they discovered that basically in these caves, they had found the, these these jars. And what had happened was there were these group called I don't think these these, uh, but there's a group called the Essenes, and they were written and they they lived around the time of Jesus. They were a religious group, and they believed that the world was ending. And so what they did was they went and they lived off in the desert, and they took all their scriptures, like their their books of the Bible, and they put them in clay pots to preserve them. Okay? Wow! So here's what's great. So we discovered these clay pots dating from the time of Jesus. Uh, and these digs went from about 1947 to 1956. And the crazy part is this. The documents that we pulled from these pots showed that what we have almost to a T is what they had. Whoa. So, so um, you know, we, we could we could square them up, like Book of Isaiah, things like that. Um, the, the, the most notable exception would be uh, there's a manuscript uh, of the Book of Jeremiah that they found that doesn't line up with ours in certain – about a third of it's different – um, that's to be expected, though. I don't know if you remember, in Jeremiah, there's a point where he talks about how the king actually had his scroll torn up and destroyed, um, and how he had to rewrite it and stuff like that. And so, Jeremiah kind of says, hey, listen, there's going to be multiple versions of this out there. <laughs> um, so, that, I think that probably accounts for that. But but yeah, even even to, to more recent times, they've been discovering more and more how these scrolls line up with what we have. So, I'll give you an example. Um, some of them, 
Some of them they found um, they were actually fossilized because I mean they're just, they're just so old and they realized if they tried to unroll the scroll it would destroy it. And so what ended up happening with, in recent years was they they developed an X-ray technology where they could go through scrolls and see what was written on them, even though they couldn't unroll them. One of them, this is crazy, they, no they found it. Yeah, isn't this neat? One of them that they did, and they found it lined up 100% with our, our copy of, or our manuscript of, of the, the book of Leviticus. Like our Hebrew lines up with theirs. So I, I think there's there's really, really good uh, evidence for the Old Testament. Um, New Testament's even neater um, because you've got just, you know, I, I mentioned earlier how uh, they would they would copy and they would you know hand and circulate these manuscripts of New Testament epistles documents and and stuff like that. So I, let me just, let me give you a little bit of a, of a comparison stat, right? So um, let's, let's just do a little bit of ancient history, okay? So let's say like you know, think about like uh, Plato. You've heard of like the philosopher mm-hmm. Plato, right? Okay, so Plato uh, wrote his stuff around four twenty seven to three forty seven BC is when when Plato uh, wrote his stuff and and like the but the crazy part is this like the gap between when he wrote. And the earliest manuscript that we have of his, uh, the earliest manuscript of Plato we have is about 900 AD. So that's a gap. Uh, so from 427 to 900 AD, it's a gap about 1,200 years, okay? Wow. And, and the number of manuscripts that we have of Plato is seven. We have seven manuscripts of, of Plato's writings, okay? None of us question if what we have is what, what Plato wrote, okay? Yeah. Same way we think about, um, gosh, I don't know, you, you could think of uh, Aristotle wrote around 384 to 322 B.C., um, earliest copy of Aristotle we have is 1100 AD, which is a time gap of 1400 years. Um, for him, we have 49 manuscripts. Okay, so huge gap between when what was written uh, and what we have exists, and the number of manuscripts. You ready for the New Testament? What? Okay, so New Testament was written in the first century. We'll say between uh, 49 to 100 AD, being, and I'm being generous there with the hundred. Um, so, so okay, so we'll say all right, so. If we're dating the New Testament as, as late as we can, earliest New Testament manuscript we have is from 130 AD. Whoa. Yeah. So gaps of about, and, that, and that's and that's one specific book, but if we were to sort of go comparison, like earliest manuscript to what we have, uh, you're looking at a gap of about 100 years. Okay. And here's the crazy part. You know how many copies of the man, these manuscripts that we have, Mark? We have 5,686 of them. Whew. We have so many New Testament manuscripts, and this is what Metzger talked about in his book. We have so many copies of New Testament manuscripts that we can tell the region they were copied in based on the types of spelling errors. <laughs> so, so when we say, oh, listen, is, it, is it pretty good, like does it stand a pretty good chance that what we have is what they wrote? Yeah, unless we're going to doubt all of human history. Yeah, I, I, think, I think what we've got is pretty reliable. And to me, that makes me step back and go, man, okay, listen, I believe the Bible is God's word. Because man, you're talking about a story that has that has spanned, I mean, thousands of years, written across multiple continents, written in different languages, and it lines up. It tells one continuous story. And man, would I expect that if you know if, if I was God and I wanted to write to people, and I wanted to tell them like, here's what what you can know about me. I want to give this to you in writing so that when you feel a different way and you're worried, maybe I don't love you or maybe I don't care. Well, here it is in writing me telling you that. Would I go out of my way to historically attest to it with evidence? Yes, I would. I think that's exactly what we see when it comes to the text of the Bible. Mm. I think it's God's care. That's incredible. Yeah, right? And that's why I think a reason why Christians should believe in the Bible. Bert, you really did your homework on this one. <laughs> that is amazing. I genuinely have zero doubt. You know, and I mean, wow. I, I think every Christian has those seasons where you know they 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 come to know the Lord, uh, they come to believe in Him, and then 
the uh, the new and exciting stuff kind of falls away and you start to doubt sure. or or you're challenged by that scripture for the very first time yeah, yeah. like because when you became a Christian you read all the easy stuff but yeah. but now you're on level 2 and level three or uh if you're playing zelda you're on the the 50th shrine and you're Uh like uh (laughs) i get that reference yeah (laughs) so that's just one question and bert i know you are just i could ask you any question i want i feel like you would give me (laughs) like an honest rooted in scripture answer and so i want our listeners to be able to ask their own questions and so if as we're going through these uh, a new question comes up or something totally out of left field uh comes up and you're just like yeah i wonder i wonder why christians do that yeah we invite you to to write in you can be anonymous if you want when you write in like we don't have to say your name or anything but it'd be fun to get to know you too but uh send your questions we have a it's podcast at we are the bridge.org and i'll make sure that that email is in the show notes as well but podcast at wearethebridge.org and you can write in any questions you might have and uh, it's just our mission with this podcast to kind of spell out and help people understand some of the strange things we may or may not understand about Christian culture Yeah. so thanks for joining us on this episode of the Why Do Christians podcast <laughs>